Most of you know Samsung because of their phones and TVs, but they do a whole lot more. In fact, they're helping dozens of startups through Samsung Next. Today, we talk with Dane Howard, Global Head of Design and Product for Samsung Next, about how they do it. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out more at NineLabs.com. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am super excited to have Dane Howard on the show today. He is the global head of design and product experience at Samsung Next. He's working on some really cool stuff. So uh, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Hey, Dane, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Morning. Um, so what are you working on over there at Samsung? What's happening in your world? Yeah, so I'm about seven months into uh, a group that started about nine months ago. Uh, Samsung Next is on a journey of you know building software and services to help transform Samsung uh, into who, who it's going to become in five years and beyond. And uh, I've been doing a lot of hiring. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, digging into uh, these products that we're developing and it's uh it's it's a super interesting problem to be in the midst of a startup within a startup yeah those are uh sometimes the the funnest places to work because things are moving fast and you get you get the chance to do interesting things that you might not be able to do in another part of the company yeah so uh the team is first of all global so it's like the two of the three products are in tel aviv israel which is super interesting and they're in areas that I've never worked before. So it's AI, it's augmented reality, and distributed computing. So super interesting areas that are uh, require a lot of um, uh, deep thought and, and a different kind of audience that uh, I've been used to before. But it's uh, most of my effort is about digging in and, and building a team. Uh, I, I'm sitting here in San Francisco. Uh, we're in a WeWork, right? So we're kind of breaking down kind of the 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 traditional barriers and, and being with the teams, being with the startups. And uh, so we help serve them in a way that complements the existing venture capital, the mergers and acquisitions, and even the partnership for Samsung. Uh, but we're, we're building a purpose-built group that's just for designing software and services. That sounds awesome. Sounds a lot like some of the stuff that we're doing here in Atlanta. So uh, I'd be interested to dig into that more, uh, maybe off this show, because it might be off topic, but it's certainly interesting stuff. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, I know Samsung's probably pretty stingy about some of the details as they should be. So can you talk about some of what you're doing, maybe a project that you're working on where you're using some design systems or some new design processes? Can you talk with, talk through what that looks like? Sure. So I've been real fortunate to kind of build and grow design teams, both in big companies and small companies. And so the, the design process that you use really has to be tuned to the stage of the group and the stage of uh, who you're serving. And, you know, first and foremost, like, you know, we're, I totally started from scratch here, but, but my insights are drawn from some of the earlier teams that I've built, like at eBay, Microsoft, uh, even startups of my own. So I have this empathy of understanding some of these uh, founders. So 
uh, a lot of our product leads were actually you know entrepreneurs and co-founders and so i empathize with how do you direct your resources how do you find just the right amount of things to work on so our design team is like you know doing everything from strategy to brand to helping them do uh, essentially like you know like a design sprint to uh, immerse them in uh, a mindset of the customer they serve sometimes it's just a matter of defining the customer of who they are um, a lot of these founders are uh, not necessarily uh, they're of course consumers themselves but they're technologists or scientists or uh, in business and so it's been a great like journey to partner with them and roll up their sleeves and kind of lead them down this path of what can become future experiences for their business. And we use that as a strategic tool to help advance the narrative and advance the prototype and advance like this um, experience that they then can get behind and, and, and build momentum inside of their own group. So, uh, and I do this just from the posture of Samsung Next is, is centralized and we've got three, um, groups um, that I mentioned in a variety of different areas and we're adding a fourth uh, through mergers and acquisition. So it's a, it's a great uh, opportunity to you know, do the due diligence, learn about a business, learn about its value add, and then um, in a way like pre-visualize that future to discuss it as a, as a strategic impetus to move forward. Yeah, so are you focused, you mentioned some AI and some, some AR stuff. Are you focused on any particular types of problems that you're solving or are you exploring new tech? Like, How do you choose what to work on? Sure. So uh, two of the products that we're working on are heavily focused on developer communities and data scientists. So if you think about, uh, you know, for instance, uh, AI and uh, machine learning, the types of problems that are being run through there, for, for example, you know, you can train, um, a, a, you know, AI to look at images uh, uh, thousands of times, millions of times to learn how to detect, you know, brain tumors. And the data that this generates is enormous. And so by creating a UI, uh, most of what we're doing is saving time for data scientists. And essentially, you know, cutting their workload so that they can do what they need to do. And so that's, that's a really fascinating problem just in terms of how they manage. Uh, these are all SaaS products. So um, there's, there's the, the communication of what this is in a world that's increasing like super, you know, busy. And we invite them into, you know, uh, to try the product. We then have a whole kind of uh, pipeline of then how we do outreach and do specific uh, webinars and you know training with them and and we just kind of tune the whole product organization to listen to their feedback as we're developing this and they become you know great partners as we uh, interpret things and put those back into the design sprints so um, that part's been really really fascinating yeah it sounds like it so it sounds like you're using some of the same methodologies that, that, we're, that we're using and that we're accustomed to. Can you talk through what that process looks like from, from the time that you're sitting in a room with a whiteboard and it's like, Hey, we should, 
through something actually being deployed and, and usable by real people? Yeah, sure. So one of the, th the things that really centers me is that organizations uh, really kind of look at themselves as their department or their group. And it's, it's a great reminder that the customer never cares how you're organized. <laughs> and so the right. first thing I do is I, I reorient our conversation around the user journey and the customer journey. And I, first thing I do is I just try to get everyone on the same page to bring the same terminology and language to that part of the user journey. And then once we have kind of agreement of like, oh, I understand this user journey, then we say, well, what part of the experience are we talking about? And then we drill down into the, the specific things that we would want uh, the customer to do or how they'd want to behave or react. And that's usually a good collective set of functionality that you can drill in, measure, you know, your KPIs, or you can uh, design an experience around. And we usually prioritize, um, you know, design sprints around uh, those areas of the experience. And then it gives us the freedom to string together a series of uh, tasks or experiences. Sometimes they're business processes, so it's not just limited to UI. And we kind of systematically say, well, what what does success look like, and what is you know what would be failure? Well, how could we get ahead of this? And then we we kind of over a week or two, we rapidly use design as a way to visualize that as a story. And so we pass through everything from mobile to email to you know any type of touch point that the customer would experience. And then we retell that story in the context of, of then calibrating with the team. And from that narrative, then we kind of then deconstruct it and prioritize it into you know, user stories that would go into like Jira. And Jira is a program that uh, developers uh, have used in Agile to then prioritize uh, systemized features. So it's a way of you know, constructing and deconstructing the narrative in a way that then allows software progress to happen. Right, so when you're building out these user stories, and I'm super fascinated by this because we're, we're um, in the middle of writing a book about this, this very process. I'm curious how much it overlaps with what we're doing. Um, are you drawing two parallel tracks on the same user story? Like, are you drawing the user side of the equation and the business side of the equation? And each of those touch points are where there's some type of value exchange, right? Yeah. So what serves us really well is just any medium that allows us to sequentially um, put things together. So we're, we're, I've, you know, of course, you know, we use uh, slides, we use, you know, prototypes, uh, anything that helps us visually uh, pull our group through this narrative in a way that we can do essentially the voice track over it. Does that make sense? And so mm -hmm. it's not, it's, and there are parts of it that you can then, you know, user test or market test, but this core narrative of a user experience is, kind of like, uh, it's like a storyboard of what you can go go do. So you might be uh, sequentially moving through UI and then get like a break and then you're, you're like at that part of the narrative and then you're like describing what, you know, uh, what the user's doing or if they go left or if they go right and then you pick up the narrative. And so we're 
we're constantly finding ways to storytell as just designers in order to kind of prototype the narrative. And so we're trying to use everything in our toolbox. And so my team has ended up being kind of this highly collaborative group. So we've got um, a strategist and a you know user researcher and their skills are in visual narrative. I've got um, a 3D artist who is completely immersed in all of their 3D tools and they think spatially, which is really key for developing uh, key narratives for like augmented reality. I've got a traditional UX and visual design uh, talent that helps us build everything from mobile UI to uh, you know web and responsive UI. So anything that is drawing on that touch point, whatever that customer touch point would be, aids and helps us facilitate all the different touch points uh, that we need for the user experience, but also for us as designers to help pull our own team through the narrative of what's possible. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's, and one of the things that I love about that conversation and the way that you're framing it is it helps people that are on maybe on the business side or on the product side, understand that design is more than pushing pixels around the screen and choosing colors and making buttons and that kind of stuff. Design is actually happens much, much earlier in the process. And the earlier you can get ahead of that, the better the outcome is going to be. That's right. And, you know, I often for my team uh, is somewhat it manifests as a posture. So, if you run your design group in such a way that everyone is kind of tasking you with, this is what we need to do. It, there's always in my experience, there's always more than enough work to do. So if mm -hmm. most of your design team is on their heels rather than on their toes, what we try to do is create processes like a design sprint, like, um, you know, even we've run things like Viz kitchens or designathons. So, you know, a Viz Kitchen and a Designathon are kind of the same thing, but it's a hackathon for design thinking and making. And it's just led from the posture of design and the output is collaborative work product that's focused on the experience. And by, by actually taking a proactive posture, it, it does something really amazing is that it allows the design group at times of the year to create a type of proactive, you know, sacrificial prototype or narrative that the rest of the organization can respond to. And from my, you know, learnings, if it's grounded in user insights and it's intentionally meant to serve that customer, then usually you're always iterating on that. Um, and it's a great place for an organization to rally behind. Uh, then, you know, oftentimes you see different kinds of disciplines that say, okay, we got to make progress. And the first thing you see like in the meeting is like, here's the schedule or here's the spreadsheet or here's the thing. Right. So, you know, those are s super important inputs, you know, cause software is like really an act of will <laughs> to like, you know, move through an organization and to ship and software is hard. And, uh, but at the same time, the, I think the, the role of the, the designer in light of all the other collaborators create this like great unique artifact and that visual sequential narrative uh, is significant. And so we just try to uh, balance this posture between reactive and proactive as much as we can. 
Yeah, makes perfect sense. So, you know, as as uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording, you know, you've got a, a long history of building products and and um, in, in companies large and small. So, can you talk a little bit about the difference in the outcomes that you've seen adopting modern design practice, um, and in contrast with how things may have worked at eBay or Microsoft before these things were really kind of um, standard practices or um, or even as mature as they are today? Yeah, sure. So one of the insights of, of having worked for a big company, a small company, or you could say a startup and an end up is the business cycle is, you know, for a designer, you, what is in common is that you're almost always on the front end of um, at least a design process that ends with shipping code. So, and that can, what changes is the iteration cycle, what changes is the, the experimentation and the cycle by which you're taking those learnings and moving from uh, total exploration into then harnessing and iterating or testing and adapting what you're doing. So like with uh, eBay, uh, it came in at a very unique time. So uh, we had uh, co-founded a company and, and were acquired in, in 2008 and they needed a team that uh, could work on the mobile uh, product. And this is, you know, the, the app store had just come out and eBay had literally just created a, uh, like a demo and it was on stage uh, at, at the very first uh, app store, you know, launch. And it was uh, essentially just a, a basic shell and I inherited this like six week old demo of eBay uh, that was in its V1 of the app store. And the thing that was amazing is here, you've got this very mature business, but you're like a startup inside of a big company. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, luckily we didn't screw it up, but we were all learning together. And so the amount of experimentation that you could do, the amount of, you know, pushes that you could do to the app store, uh, it, it really was phenomenal because you, you weren't really, it was all customer acquisition and it was all learnings about customer behavior. And so you could iterate very quickly. You could learn very quickly. And uh, the growth that we saw in those 18 months were remarkable. And so I compare and contrast that against uh, another part of the business that I worked on which was uh, the verticals. So, you know, very large categories like fashion, and motors, electronics are very big categories for commerce in a marketplace like eBay globally. And the types of things that you think about uh, as a design team there is very much akin to the, uh, you know, like trying to, you know, change out the engine while the, uh, while the jet is flying. And so you have to really learn about how do you, uh, how do you make calculated uh, risks when you have traffic constantly flowing through the, system, the very systems that you're designing. Mm -hmm. And so we got really good at understanding how to, um, you know, A-B testing actually was uh, relatively not, wasn't a new concept, but depending on a, like a platform like eBay at the time, it actually required quite a bit of planning to set up the right kinds of tests that you wanted to do and in order to get the learning and the insights that you needed. And sometimes and you had these like wonderful branches where like you could just direct traffic to a brand new experience. 
and it was just remarkable. It's like the most amazing thing to create like uh, like a new tributary of a of a of experience, and um, and have people to discover it, find it, and so in that journey, designing between you know like desktop browser and mobile, you started to see the really interesting behavior of a cross-platform journey. Uh, so for example, you might find something on mobile, but convert on the desktop or in reverse. So we had to then really as uh, commerce evolved and became increasingly more mobile, we had to think about how do we measure a session when we used to think about it just in browser, and now we have to think about it between browser and mobile and mobile and browser. And so we really had to mm -hmm. develop new tools, new analytics to help us measure uh, some of these cross-platform kind of uh, shopping sessions. Interesting. And so that's more kind of a, an evolution of the audience that you're serving, right? Yeah. As people shift their behavior from different types of devices, different types of, um, of outcomes that they're looking for, a designer has to constantly respond to that and constantly be aware of what they're trying to help that person accomplish, right? That's right. And so what, one of the insights, so we had um, these, these really talented teams that became experts in these verticals. At, at the same time, uh, they were very focused on the, what they were shipping next and then what they were shipping next. And so that rhythm, that cadence, particularly within a public company, creates a particular rhythm where you really get hyper-focused on the, the next quarter, or you get hyper-focused on uh, the revenue it's generating. And so what, one insight was to say, well, I've got 100% of our design team you know, just allocated to essentially keeping the lights on and incrementally improving the business. What if we could create a much smaller group that was freed up from that, that could partner with different groups, that could get them two, three, four, or five iterations further down to, to help them calibrate on experiences that could be more step change or could be uh, more participating into their planning. And we ended up calling this group Previs, which is just short for pre-visualization. And the term is borrowed from Hollywood and really it's just the insight that, you know, movies, as I grew up, they had always done pre-production, production, and post-production. But on uh, some of the films that were really big budget and really interesting, a lot of the directors were taking this approach where they're like, well, we really need to pre-visualize the scene to even understand how to better cost the movie or mm -hmm. conceptually or creatively, we need to know like, should we do it or do it that way? And I was in, inspired by just the premise of using design and visualization to help uh, essentially plan out like a movie production. And I said, well, why aren't, you know, businesses and, you know, companies taking the time to do this? Um, you know, and I just realized that the, that the speed of business consumes just about all the oxygen in the room for designers. And so we ended up, you know, growing this, you know, this practice of previs and we just behaved like an internal design and consultant group that had no real product ownership but had um, tremendous design thinking facilitation visualization skills they were cross-disciplinary they could tell stories and they ended up doing something like 58 engagements over a year and a half um, mostly in product uh, in mobile but they we also partnered with like mergers and acquisitions 
and mm-hmm. we like visualized like what a, comp- a newly acquired company uh, and them being integrated into the uh, company, what that would look like. And that was fascinating because this new founder was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have like uh, a path. I th- feel like I have a, uh, a collaboration, you know, roadmap, you know, and uh, we also partnered with HR and HR uh, was looking for um, ways of improving the onboarding experience globally for new employees. So we just used design to help, you know, partner with HR. And so this set the stage for what became a really interesting movement inside of eBay um, in the last couple of years I was there from like 2014, 2015, when uh, the CEO said, we would like to activate design across all of eBay. And he uh, introduced me to John Maida. And uh, mm-hmm. John was our uh, chair of our uh, design council. And we really, for the last two years, I really focused a lot of this um, design thinking and making, but pointed it towards culture. And uh, that to me was a, a really interesting insight about how you get um, people excited about working this way. And so we ended up activating design across, at the time, all of eBay's companies, which, which at the time included PayPal and eBay uh, Enterprise and Magento and all of these really interesting uh, collection. And there was like 350 designers that we uh, kind of brought together and brought this narrative forward. Well, it's, I'm super fascinated by this because a lot of what you're describing is very similar to what we're seeing in other markets. And we're starting to see this, this really interesting and super effective collaboration between early stage idea generators. And that could be either like internal innovation teams, like you're working with at Samsung, or could be VC firms, could be private equity groups, could be any number of people who are starting to realize the value of design. So it's super fascinating to hear that, that, you know, that uh, you've seen it working in a couple of different environments and it's now kind of becoming a standard. Well, what intrigued me about just the Samsung next opportunity is, you know, they, they had a humble start with, you know, VC mergers and acquisitions and partnerships for Samsung. And they, as a, as a way to serve their portfolio companies, they tried several different types of things like a lot of VCs do. And, I had a curiosity about, you know, what is the design partner role? And I ended up, you know, speaking to a lot of them here in the Valley. And it turns out they all do um, essentially the, the same role, but they, they execute it very differently. So on one hand, you have Google Ventures that, you know, they're very well known for the design sprint. And, you know, Jake Knapp and those guys have created this practice of helping their portfolio companies, you know, create uh, very rapid insights into the experiences they're creating. And, you know, uh, there's, let's say, Koshal Ventures and Irene Ao, like, uh, fascinating how she not only consults, but helps place talent in these, uh, these companies. What, what intrigued me about Samsung Next is that they, if you think about mergers and acquisitions, there's an there's a often left out word called integration. And having been an acquired company, like integration is usually like a six week process where you get acclimated into your new <laughs> corporate entity and you're, you pretty much have a reporting structure that says, okay, like go do what you do. And it's, it's often hard time, hard for 
a smaller entity to keep their mojo and to keep their momentum. And so when Samsung next built the product group, what intrigued me was it was like, they're going to keep uh, a group of people that have software DNA that have led software organizations that uh, can basically care and feed and foster and grow these um, products inside of Samsung. Mm -hmm. And they have the, the agility and the speed and the distributedness. And so they're, they're free to continue to innovate at speed. And to me, that was very intriguing. And you know, the, the, the challenge is that they're all different. And so I run the design practice for all of them and they all have different needs, but we do have this, the insight is this, this, they all need a lot of the same things. So if you think about a very early stage company, they might even not have the headcount or the budget to even hire their first designer. And if they hire one, they might like, if they were on their own, they might just pay for a contractor that would be touch and go. So there's no continuity. There's no, you know, institutional memory of, of the customer. And, and to be honest, it's, you know, the contractor is truly not motivated to their success. It's like time and materials. So we said, well, what if we create a purpose-built design team that is intended to be highly focused on that business and their success? And that what if we could give them just the talent they need at the right time? What if we could give them the projects that they need uh, precisely at the time that they need? And still push decision-making to the products, but at the stage that we're at, let's get them to the stage so that when they can hire their first designer, we're also there to provide that continuity and that level of quality. And uh, so that's, that's in the spirit of what we're working on right now. Right. Yeah. And when you get to that stage where they're hiring their own people, um, you can not only provide that continuity, but you can also provide them guidance to get the right people on the team. That's right. That's right. And so we, you have a better insight. You've been with them a long time. So you have an understanding of their need and what, ex what precisely will, will play well with not only culturally, but with who they are and how they're wired. And um, that's, been, that's been the challenge, but it's also been the great joy of like seeing some of the successes that are coming out of, uh, out of these products. And you know, in this model, they, they kind of retain some of their own um, brand, but everyone works for Samsung. And that's what's so kind of cool about it is that uh, you're, you're launching in markets, you're talking to customers around the world with different value propositions. And the learnings, just, just by you know, having three or four products, you see synergies, you see systems that you can leverage or thinking even between entirely different companies. And so we end up getting some efficiencies in how we you know, you know, run certain processes uh, for workshops or for visualization or you know, just even simply how we like, build and design like, uh, landing pages and communicate you know, messaging uh, to them. Uh, so it, it really is end-to-end. Uh, -end. And what it's, what's fun is, you know, as the design leader, I, I get to uh, constantly remind the designers that they aren't necessarily pigeonholed into, oh, you're a mobile designer, or you're just a, you know, pattern designer. Like, they really get to work on these businesses like, you know, soup to nuts. And uh, so it's been fun kind of attracting the talent that, you know, it's up for that challenge. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, and it's one of those places where um, if one particular company interests you more than another, maybe you, know, you can move around between them and you can, you can work on design challenges that are perpetually interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. And that, yeah. that's, that's the neat part too, is that um, in this posture, you, you can say, you know what, I really like this team, I really like this product. And to have that affordance to say, you know what, I'd like to go be the lead designer of that product. Um, right. is, is a really neat career path thing. And, um, you know, I experienced that to a certain degree inside of a large company, uh, both at, you know, Microsoft and, and eBay, is that you, you can actually have an entirely different, you know, job change if you change divisions. Um, right. This, this one's very interesting because I've never seen a org structure that is centralized in different discipline heads. So one of my peers is the, you know, head of technology. Uh, another is the head of go-to-market. And so we help uh, run these, whole, these categories of, of disciplines that uh, have a watchful eye over all of the systems that ship software across the whole portfolio. And so that part is, is fascinating. But to be able to recruit someone and say, hey, you know, do you want to work in the head of the octopus or do you want to work like, you know, in one of these really interesting, growing, thriving, you know, products. Um, and it's a, it's a really neat place to kind of grow and foster talent. Yeah. So, you know, as we start to wrap up here, if, if you were advising a new company on how they needed to approach validating, testing and building a product to solve whatever problem it is that they're trying to go after, like what would you advise them to do and how would you advise them to go about doing it? Uh, so I think, I think just being really honest about, uh, you know, first of all, you know, build a culture of making the cost of making things is the, is kind of the lowest it's ever been and get a reaction. And that doesn't mean you have to ship code, but you have to get a reaction of your customers. So the earliest that, uh, you can zero in on a customer need. You know, so much of what we talk about around here is product market fit. And to build essentially a, a level of confidence that's measurable, understandable, that there's a business there. And that confidence will carry into the momentum of whatever you build and shape. And right. that, you know, it's no surprise also that, you know, over 12 months, you know, the number of times that you push your code uh, are directly correlated to your learnings. So if you are a small business and you only pushed your code twice this year, that's high stakes, right? That's right. super high stakes because that means you're only getting two iterations in an entire year. And so uh, I'd say to smaller companies, build a type of rhythm that allow the most uh, iterations and learnings as possible. And at the same time, you know, there's this really important kind of temper temperament on that where you have to say, well, wait a second. There is one thing that is true is you only have, you know, one chance to make a first impression. So mm -hmm. every, every company goes through their own version of, you know, what is beta or public or a, a launch essentially. And it's, there is no tried or true, but it has to do with the amount of noise and attention you put on that. But I think the number of iterations is probably the, the number one thing that I'd have, you know, any company or product think about uh, as it relates to, you know, finding and iterating on the learnings. 
Yeah, that, that's good advice. Um, uh, uh, to break that down, kind of reiterate what you said, um, make it really super easy to ship, right? So as you can learn things, be able to get that into the product and validate and test it and make sure that it's, it's, it's measurably effective as quickly as possible. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're, you're, you said it well. It's, it's shipping, but not just shipping fast. It's shipping and measuring, shipping and measuring, shipping and measuring. And I've seen a lot of teams that really rush to get something out. And then you start asking questions like, well, how's it doing? And all of the types of questions they're asking are really thoughtful questions, but they didn't take the time to put the, the proper measurement or analytics into finding the answer to that question. So they're in a way they're, they're shipping, they built a shipping like machine, but they didn't uh, temper it with a measurement machine. So they don't know, it's like somewhat rudderless. So it's really hard yeah. to, to steer the business. Yeah, so they could ship a lot, but not know if they're actually going in the right direction. Yes, I mean, so depends on the business, of course. I mean, if money's coming in and you've got like, you know, uh, revenue, uh, there is, you know, one signal. But if, if, if all of a sudden that falls off a cliff or you don't know why, or, or it goes in the other direction, like, wow, what happened? You know, like, what did we do right? And so oftentimes companies, they, they either break their own success or they do something uh, unintended or something unintended happens to their business and they don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a super dangerous place to be. For sure. Cool. Well, Dane, it's been great chatting with you today. I appreciate the insights and getting a little bit of an idea of how things are working over there. If, um, if somebody wants to reach out and learn more or chat with you about what you're doing, what's the best way to get in touch? Oh, sure. So you just, you know, you can find me through danehoward.com. Um, it's kind of where I centralize everything and, uh, on LinkedIn as well. Cool. Cool. And we'll link both of those up in the episode show notes. Perfect. So any parting thoughts before we close out? Oh, well, so great that uh, you uh, speak with different design leaders about uh, this topic and thank you for, for doing this. It's fantastic to uh, spread this knowledge. Like uh, one of my mentors said, you know, stories build in strength with retelling. So this is a great way to get uh, great knowledge out there and I appreciate you uh, for, for doing this. Well, I Appreciate you coming on the show. It's uh, it's always fun and interesting to talk with uh, smart people doing cool things, and, and you're certainly in that category. So, um, hopefully, have you on the show again some point in the future. But until then, uh, thanks a lot. Oh, thank you so much. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click contact us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.